Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Hear now the gospel according to John, chapter 21, verse 1 through 19. Later, Jesus himself appeared again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They set out in a boat, but throughout the night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus called to them, Children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, No. He said, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they did, and there were so many fish they couldn't hold the net. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, it was the Lord. He wrapped his coat around himself, for he was naked, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from the shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire there. Or, when they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, "Bring some fish that you've just caught." Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish. 153 of them, yet the net hadn't torn with so many fish. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus come, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, Yes, my Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, Yes, my Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. I assure you, when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will tie your belt and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, Follow me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In our story that we've just had an all-female reenactment of, hooray to the ladies for showing up today. We got to see the third time that Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection in the Gospel of John. We have these different depictions of what it means to be a disciple in light of the resurrection towards the end of John. 
Before this passage, we had the whole kerfuffle with Thomas. Poor disciple Thomas, who is known as Doubting Thomas, but really was kind of just like all the other disciples, wanting to see and touch and know for himself that this wasn't just a story, this crazy made-up story of Jesus coming back to life, but a real situation that they could have faith in, touching the wounds that had healed from where Jesus had been nailed to the cross, getting called out for being the last one to seem to follow in line of understanding that Jesus was really back, that something new and exciting was going on. In the passage we heard today, we get to see what happens next after these disciples have started to see Jesus again. And it turns out they kind of go back to life as usual. The same disciples that were called as fishermen in the beginning of the gospel are in Galilee at the lake, and they decide, you know what, it's been a really rough week, I'm going to take a night and go fishing. This happens just after all of the events of Holy Week and Easter and the immediate um, sightings of Jesus. They've been through a lot in the last few days. It's like being at a whole week of milestones testing at school, and suddenly you decide, we're going to take a day and just go to the park, or go jump at Sky Zone, or watch a movie on Friday night and have some popcorn, and let ourselves relax after all of the stress that we have been through. So they head out back to their life from before knowing Jesus, back to fishing and the thing that they know best, and they hit the darkness of night. And they make it through the night, fishing all night long, and in the morning, someone calls from the shore and says, hey, have you caught any fish? And as is true of every single incidence of fishing in all of the Gospels, they have caught nothing. Despite being fishermen for a living before being called to be disciples, we never see a moment when the fishermen of the Gospels, on their own accord, have actually succeeded in catching fish, which makes you really wonder about the choices they're making. But they've gone back to this life that they are questionably skilled at, and they have spent all night fishing, and they have empty nets, and most likely hungry bellies, something most of us complain about on a regular basis up here, myself included. And luckily, that person who has called out their lack of catching fish on the shore points them to a new place to catch something. Throw your nets over there. And like has happened before in the Gospels, this seeming stranger points them directly to the spot where not only do they catch enough fish for that morning, enough fish for that day, but so many fish they can hardly hold on to the net. Now, all of us today, in 2019, having been through these stories before, know that this is Jesus. But those poor disciples, with the week they've been through, are a little clueless. And it takes the beloved disciple, who is likely John, saying to everybody else, uh, y'all, we just witnessed a miracle. We caught nothing all night. Now our nets are full. I think that's Jesus on the shore. 
Did you guys pay attention to this crazy thing that just happened? We're not that good at fishing. There's that many fish in this net because that's Jesus. He's watching, he's paying attention, and suddenly he says to the other people around who aren't able to see the presence of God in front of them, hey, there's God right there. This discipleship is the kind that we often talk about in our lives today, especially as adults. The kind where we need to slow down, where we need to pay attention to the signs of God's presence in our world. Where we need to spend time in prayer, in reading scripture, in having discussion, in smelling the roses, paying attention to nature, whatever seems to be going on around us where we can notice the tiny moments and the abundant moments where God is present. This is going to, I'm sure, come as a shock to you all, but that's not often how we function in children's ministry and discipleship. We end up being a little bit more like Peter, who as soon as he hears that God is there, wraps a coat around himself and jumps out of the boat and splashes and makes a huge event out of getting to the shore to get to Jesus. The other disciples row the mere hundred feet, about a football field, back to shore reasonably with their net of fish and go to see Jesus. But Peter has the reaction that most of us, I would say up here, have most of the time when some good news is coming. That moment when I say in children's church, all right, it's time for candy trivia, we get a little excited, right guys? When I say, all right, it's time to head to the Easter egg hunt, we jump and we go full force all of the time. And this is another disciple. This is a disciple who Jesus is going to continue talking to and calling to and saying, hey, it's a little bit much, but I'm so glad you're here. This John discipleship is there, quiet, attentive, calm, and the Peter discipleship is there, excited, lavish, abundant energy turned towards Jesus. There have been times in the past when those reading scripture have put these two kind of in opposition, that there's the quiet, um, deep thinkers, and that there's the Peter who seemed to be called to be the head of the church, that there are these two really different types of discipleship that are going to be at odds as we continue to be the church together. We do that with other scripture, too, the classic Mary and Martha conversation, which I have always found so frustrating because both of them are putting in valuable work. And those of us who want to go eat at a big lunch for people need the people who are going to get behind the scenes and get things done. But it turns out all these times that we pit one style against another happen in our lives, too. We think we've got the good, attentive kids in class who always listen to the teacher and never get in trouble, and those are the prime students. And sometimes we give a hard time to the students who maybe aren't so still, maybe aren't able to listen as well, or it seems aren't able to listen. In our own world, we tend to think there's one right way and one wrong way to do whatever thing it is we have to do, whether it's how to put together something we're doing for work, whether it's how to parent someone, whether it's how to grandparent someone, 
We put ourselves at odds with each other on a regular basis, and I think the thing that we're getting from this passage is that we need all of these different perspectives and different approaches to what it means to follow God and love Jesus and be a disciple in the world. See, Jesus is always doing something a little different than what we tend to do in our daily lives. This gospel that we heard from today starts with my favorite passage in all of scripture, where we hear that in the beginning was the word, and the word was light for all people, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And we get to this passage at the end where Jesus is standing on the shore, literally at the light at the end of darkness, with the light of a fire in front of him, and calling everyone to come and have a sacred meal. He's even surprising us because in the Gospel of John, we don't have the same communion story that we have in other Gospels, but here we have Jesus having a sacred meal of bread and fish with his disciples. I promise today you won't have any fish or fish oil in the communion that we have, But I was surprised to find out that early Christians often depicted the holy meal, the Eucharist meal, as having bread and fish instead of bread and juice. Maybe those goldfish crackers we eat so many of are a little more symbolic than we realized. Jesus shines this light at dawn and brings all of the disciples, the quiet, attentive one, the jumping into the water and being crazy one, the not so sure whether they should ask and clarify if this is really Jesus or not ones, all of them together into his fold. And he appears to them not just in Jerusalem where all the big events of the last week or so have been happening, but in Galilee by a sea of Tiberias that we don't really know a ton about and don't talk about. Jesus is showing up wherever this ragtag group of disciples are, not limited to just the special few who have stayed behind to face all the trouble in Jerusalem. He's here for the followers, multiple followers, this group of people with their own ways of understanding and of responding. And the reality is that that's really important for us in the world today. Living our lives in the light of the resurrection as those disciples were trying to do requires the quiet attention to where God is present and that incredibly active response to it. It requires a variety of people and perspectives, of ages, of experiences, of all sorts of things to become the diverse and whole body of Christ. None of us can be the body of Christ on our own. None of us with our one way of seeing the world, of seeing God, of knowing Jesus, of responding to Jesus, can be the whole body of Christ. It requires a community of people who are different from us, people who see things differently, people who come to things from a different place. And y'all, that is not always easy, is it? It can be hard to get along when our friends want to do something different than we want to do. 
you guys ever experienced that fight over who's going to play with what or what game you're going to play or what you're even going to do on the playground? Or maybe as you get a little bit older, where you're going to go on the weekend or what movie to see. And yet, we need to find ways to work through it. Because being the body of Christ means being in community with people who get on our nerves, people who frustrate us, people who say things that are different than what we say, people who believe things that are different than what we believe. There are some guidelines to this. Being in the community of the church and the body of Christ does mean that those different perspectives need to be founded in God's love and unending grace. It means that we have to be aware that sometimes we're the ones who are getting on someone's nerves. Sometimes we're the ones with imperfections. And that all of us are given God's perfect love in the face of our flaws and that we are called to share that love with everyone else in the face of their flaws, too. That we come with these different perspectives, even on how we understand God, on how we respond to the sight of Jesus in the light in front of us, but we continue to do that, living out the love of God in whatever perspective we bring, recognizing the full humanity of all people we encounter, no matter how different from us they are or how irritating they are, how uncool they might seem, and that we're inviting those people into this community of faith with us. No one got left behind in the boat. No one got left away from the meal that Jesus offered. And Peter, this most excited one, probably could have seemed to be the most likely to be left behind. It was only a few days before this that three times Peter denied knowing Jesus on the night of Jesus' death. Yet he's included, and so is everyone else who makes a mistake, everyone else who sees things differently. Jesus invites all of them to the table, all of them to the campfire, all of them to the special meal. And we live a life in light of the resurrection where we are called to invite everyone to join us in this weird and wonderful community of the church. Now, Jesus didn't appear that morning to give very specific instructions about what it meant to be a disciple, right? It wasn't the list of rules that you get on the first day of school. It was more like that end of school reminder, take all your stuff with you, whatever it takes. Go ahead and do that. It wasn't, you need to do this first and this first and this second and this last. It was a message simply and emphatically to follow Jesus, to care for Jesus' sheep. He speaks to Peter, this most active and outlandish one of them all, but he does it in a way that speaks to all of us, asking this one who needs to be forgiven for denying three times, asking three times if he loves Jesus, and giving again that call, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. It's a call to all of us, no matter which type of disciple we are, 
to do whatever it is that God calls us to do, to feed the sheep, to feed the lambs, to pay attention to the signs of God's presence in the world, to be the one to jump into action even if it means getting your coat soaking wet in the water, to be calm, to be a little bit of a fool, to soak in the abundance of God's love and life and fill yourself up with a catch of 153 fish and then go and share it with others, to have a meal that could be bread and fish or could be bread and wine, to do whatever it is God has gifted you with as a way to live your life following Jesus, and to do it with those other different people who are a part of the body of Christ, to do it welcoming each other and relying on each other, to do it being the one who needs to point out to other people that God is present here, or to do it being the one who needs to jump into action and do the thing that needs to be done. To live abundantly in whatever gifts we've been given. So for everyone else's sake, you need to hear the call of God to be who you truly are, who God made you to be, to be a part of this body of Christ, to be the quiet person when you need to be the quiet person, to be the loud person, to be the person who makes loud mistakes over and over again and shows others how much forgiveness and grace God has in the world to let people know how God is changing your life and to invite them into being changed as well. Even to be the person who doubts when everyone else seems sure and to continue asking questions that help others to know their faith even better as they help you find the answers. To bring the uniqueness of yourself in the light of the resurrection and help others to do the same. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Be the one to follow. Just before Candace comes and gives the benediction, I think it's worth taking a moment to express our appreciation to the kids and to Candace for leading us in worship this morning. When I got here, the mood was, why can't the kids sit still and worship? And now the mood is, we can't wait for Children's Sunday every year. It doesn't come without change and work and time. It's not just the work of Candace and her team. It's not just the work of the kids, but it's the work of you, the church, who when we baptize children to the life of the church, renew our vows to nurture these children in the faith, that they grow in the way of true godliness and Christian discipleship. It's a process, and this is a place and a home for our children and for all the children. So we're grateful for the ministry that you share with us. We're grateful for Candace's ministry, and we're grateful for the kids because y'all did so good. And as we head out, grateful for, for a community where whether we agree or disagree, whether we are small or tall, we are part of this body of Christ and called to follow Jesus in whatever unique way we are gifted to do. Go and follow. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. 
We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.